Good evening. How are we all doing? How are we all doing? There we go. Let me try something. Christ is risen. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. I've always wanted to do that. Fantastic. For those of you who know me well, you'll know that I only really tend to wear a tie to church for three occasions. One is Christmas, one is Easter, and one is when the Melbourne Football Club win a game. <laughs> Woo! I haven't worn a tie too many times over the years, but I'm pleased to say it's on for two reasons this weekend. Tonight we're going to be looking into John chapter 10, and the passage we're looking into um, jumps into this little section of John. The first 12 chapters of John tend to follow this cycle, and in this cycle, Jesus performs an act or a miracle um, or a sign. And then shortly after that, the Pharisees or the Jews will come up to him and they'll interrogate him, they'll hound him, they'll try and pull him up on things, they'll try and pull him down on things. And to be honest, I was reading through John recently and you get a little bit sick of it after a while. You just wonder when these guys will get the point. So we jump into John chapter 10 where Jesus has just healed a blind man and the Pharisees uh, having this conversation with Jesus about it. And Jesus is giving them this response about who he is and what he's come to do. And so we jump into John chapter 10 at verse 1, and we'll read through to verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to read with me. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs up in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And the second half of this verse is fantastic. The second half of this verse is possibly one of the biggest half of verses, if that's even a phrase, in the Bible. It's incredible. It's the reason Jesus came. It's the reason we're here this weekend. It's the reason we come every Sunday. The second half of this verse, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or your translation may say, have it abundantly. Then verse 11, how, how he does this is, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Please join with me as I pray. Father God, we come before you this evening. Thankful for what you did for us. Thankful that you would send your son and willingly he took the blame for us. What a love. I pray that you would go ahead of us this evening, prepare our hearts, for what you are to say to them, prepare our minds, prepare our ears for the challenges that you're going to bring to us. I pray that you would have a word for each and every single person in this place, and I pray that you would be given 
the glory for, for that word, God. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. So for those of you who are like me, you might have read that passage and noticed that Jesus starts off the passage being the shepherd. And then he gets to the second half of his analogy and he becomes the gate. And I was a little confused by this kind of dual appearance in the analogy by Jesus. So I looked into it a little bit and I'll touch on that a little bit first just before we even get into it. And that is back then and possibly around the world still, sheep pens were made, the walls were made out of rock or stone and instead of having your traditional swing gate like we, like we know now, there would just be a two and a half, three meter gap in this fence. Just a gap. And these, these pens would often occupy many, many different flocks of sheep. And what would happen is there would be a gatekeeper at night and the gatekeeper would come and he would literally stand or sit in this gap and he would be the gate. So in this analogy, it is possible to be both the shepherd and the gate. That's why I think this analogy is such a beautiful analogy and Jesus uses it so very well. And then the, shepherd w- the shepherds would come the next day and they'd know their sheep by an individual call for each sheep. And each sheep would respond to that call so you couldn't go and steal another person's sheep. You could only get them if you were the shepherd. So now that I've touched on that, we'll get, in, we'll get into the verse. So the verse we're looking at, or the main verse we're looking at, is the second half of verse 10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full, that they may have it abundantly. Tonight I want to look at what that life looks like. What that life that Jesus offers to us, what it looks like. So my first thing I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to John chapter 10, verse 27 to 28. And this is what Jesus says at this point. It's just a little later in the passage. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life. So the first thing I want to note about this life is that it's eternal. And I don't know about most of you, but if you know me well, you know I'm a bit of a cynic. And the good thing about being a cynic is that you, you need to look at things deeply. You need to understand things. I, I need to know the very last bit of information before I make a decision. And so I look at that, and I'm not convinced yet. Having an eternal life, I'm not entirely convinced yet. You see, I've had bad days, and I'm sure we've all had bad days. And if it's an eternity of these bad days, I'm not interested. I'll be right without that. Thank you very much. So that leads us to the second thing we need to learn about this life. And for that, I'm going to go to John chapter 11. So I'm not going to jump around. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I'm not going to jump out of John. We're just going to be looking at what John has to say about this life, because John talks about this life in great detail in his gospel. And so in John chapter 11, you've got Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, has just died. He's just passed away. And his sister Mary, uh, his sister Martha, sorry, who is also a friend of Jesus, comes to meet Jesus and talk to him. And they have this whole exchange about life and death and how he could have have saved Lazarus. Later on, as the story goes on, Jesus actually raises Lazarus from the dead, which is incredible. But I just want to touch on that exchange between Martha and Jesus because Jesus says something quite profound here. Verse 25 and verse 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life, he says. So the first thing we know about this life is that it's eternal. The second thing we know about this life is that Jesus is the representation of this life. Jesus is the life. So in order to get an idea of of what this life might look like without going anywhere else in the Bible than John, the first 10 chapters of John, we can look at some of the things that Jesus actually did in his life. Just before this, Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. Just before that, Jesus went to a festival. Just before that, he healed a man who was born lame. He also fed thousands of people off one boy's lunch. This is all in the same 10 chapters. He healed an official's son who was sick. And just before that, chapter 4 of John, if you're not familiar with any of these stories, I encourage you to go home and read them. But just before that, in chapter 4 of John, one of my favorite stories, Jesus talks with this Samaritan woman and makes friends with her. A Samaritan woman, a woman who socially, geographically, culturally, Jesus never should have been talking to. Jesus never should have befriended. He's interested in befriending that woman. He's interested in being friends with everyone. Then even a little bit more before that, you may know the story of Jesus turning water into wine. He goes to a wedding party and he turns the water into wine. And I, I assume Jesus went to many more parties. This is just the example we get because he worked a miracle at this particular party. So from the first 10 chapters of John alone, we learn that Jesus is a dude who loves his friends. He loves his family. He's interested in going to parties. He doesn't live this dull and boring life. Too often Jesus is looked at as a little bit of a killjoy in the figure of in the history books but he's not he's interested in life he's interested in being with friends he's interested in being with family he's interested in healing the sick the lame the blind so the second thing I want to note about this life is that it is abundant it is to the full this is not this is not some shallow life this is a life of abundance now I the cynic inside of me am a little more interested An eternal life that is abundant, now you've got my ears. And the third thing I want to note about this life is that it is a new life. So if you go, and I know we're jumping around a little bit, but if you go to John chapter 3, Jesus talks to a guy named Nicodemus. And a lot of you will be familiar with that story. For those of you who aren't, they're having this discussion about how Jesus is teaching Nicodemus that to inherit the kingdom, you have to be born again. To inherit the kingdom, you have to be born again. Andrew Beveridge preached a fantastic sermon last week talking about the kingdom and some of the attributes it holds. And I'll touch on that a little bit more later. But in this passage, a little further down from this teaching from Jesus, in verses 13 through to 15... Jesus says this, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. There's that eternal life again. That everyone who believes, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So there's clearly this link between this eternal life and being born again. There's clearly a link between the resurrection and the eternal life. There's clearly a link between the resurrection and being born again. It's new life. 
So, my, so up until this point, we've learned that this life is eternal, that this life is abundant, it is to the full, it is fantastic, and that it is new life. To give you a bit of a picture of what new life looks like to me, I'm going to encourage you to join me for a moment. Who here has ever been to an airport? Hands up if you've ever been to an airport. I assume most people. At airports or at uh, Parliament House, places like that, they have these metal detectors that you have to walk through, yeah? And before you go through this big door frame that senses whether you've got any metal or weapons or anything like that on you, you have to take out your keys, you have to take out your phone, you have to take out your wallet, maybe your belt, maybe your watch, and you have to put it in this little container that sits on a conveyor belt and goes through to the other side, and they check that, and then you walk through, and walking through this door, they check you. So I want you to join me for a moment. You can close your eyes if it helps. If you don't want to, that's fine as well. But I want you to imagine you're at this airport, this airport-like place, and you walk up to this, these metal detectors, and instead of being asked like you expect to be to put all the metal that you have on you, whether it be your phone, your keys, whatever it is, instead of being asked to put them in the container, you're asked to put your sins in the container. Your big ones, your small ones, your ones that nobody else knew about. You're asked to put your shortfalls in the container. And I hope it's not too confronting, but I'd love for you to actually imagine because it helped me so much. Put all your shortfalls in the container. Put the times you've hurt other people in this container. Put all your regrets in this container. Put every time you haven't measured up to the person you want to be in this container. And slowly as you take off these things and you put them in the container, you start to feel lighter. You start to feel, you start to feel this sense of joy, this sense of relief, this feeling that you haven't felt for so many years because you've been holding these things for so long. And you put them in this container and you stand back and you look at it. And for me, that's one big container. And you're a bit overwhelmed by it. And you watch it go through. You watch it go through the conveyor belt to the other side. And you start to feel this sense of, I don't want to put that stuff back on. I don't want to get back. I don't want to ever see that stuff again. And you walk through to the other side. And you turn to the right to expect to see that conveyor belt on the other side. To expect to see that container with all those things that you never want to see again on the other side. And you turn around to your right to face this, this container, this conveyor belt, all these things. And there's nothing there. There's no conveyor belt, there's no container. You start to look around. The first sense is a little bit of shock with a tiny bit of worry that somebody else might find these things and see these things. And you start to look around for where these things might be. You look to your left, even though that would make no sense at all. You look behind you to see whether, whether the things, uh, to see where the path of the conveyor belt led to, whether you've been misled or something like that, and you can't seem to make it out. And then after this initial feeling of shock, there's this feeling of relief. There's this sudden feeling of hope that you may never see those things again. That this lightness you currently feel, this strength you currently feel, that you might have it forever. That this hope you now feel, that you might have it forever. Hope that you won't ever come across those things again. And there is a freedom. And you're feeling good about this. You're feeling as if you could hug the first person you see, no matter who they are, 
And then you turn around to face the rest of the airport and who's standing there but Jesus. And I don't know how the words go down. This is, this is for your imagination alone. But he informs you that he's the reason those things are gone. That he gave it all so those things wouldn't matter anymore. And you can take this journey with him. You're still in the world. You can catch any flight you like, though. Go anywhere you like. And you can go with him and not have those things tie you down anymore. And you don't even have to fly Tiger Airways. <laughs> to me, that's what new life looks like. See, the English, the English dictionary defines resurrection as to be revived or to be restored. But that, that doesn't sit well with me because it's this idea of revive. To me, it's this idea of reviving or restoring old life. And I'm not interested in reviving or restoring those old things. I just want those old things to be gone. But the word used in the New Testament for resurrection is a word called anastasis. And it's probably my favorite word in any language ever. And it most accurately translates to, ra to be risen from the dead. Or to be reborn. To have new life. And that's what I want to propose, the third point, that this is a new life. That's, that's what this life is about. You don't have to go back to those old things. You don't have to ever see them again. Jesus gave it all so that those things can't tie you down anymore. This is a life worth celebrating. It is abundant. It is new. If you were here last week, you would have heard Andrew Beveridge preach about how the kingdom is both now and not yet, how in its fullness it is yet to come, but it is still, it has started here on the earth. And I'm not going to go anything into that, I'm just going to hope you were here or that you can research it online, but what I want to propose to you tonight is that this door in this passage that we walk through, that we follow Jesus through, knowing that he is also the door, this door we walk through is not a door we eventually walk through. See, a lot of people read this and they think, okay, that's the door I walk through when I get to heaven. But just as the kingdom is here right now, I want to propose that that is a door you walk through today. That that is a door you should be walking through every day. Because I don't know about you guys, I could have walked through that door and if you, if you imagine it as that door, I don't mind how you imagine it, if you imagine it as that door that I talked about where you cast all those things aside and then you walk through and they're gone. I know that if I walked through that door, say, last Sunday, I'll have had bad things happen to me in the past week. I'll have had things that burden me down a little bit. And that's not enough for me. I need to walk through it again every single day. Yesterday's grace is not enough for me today. So those of you who are Christians in the room, those of you who have already made that step to believing in Christ, I want to I wanna ask you when the last time you walked through that door was. Was it yesterday? Was it last week? Was it a month ago? Was it when you got baptized, when you became a Christian? When was it? And why wasn't it today? If it was today, fantastic. And I'm not asking you that to guilt trip you or make you feel bad or anything like that. I'm asking you that because this life that we gain by walking through the door, by following Jesus, this life that he, he gave his life for us to live, that he rose again for us to live. I'm asking you that question because this life is just so relieving. 
that feeling of knowing that those things in the past, you don't have to worry about them anymore, whether it just be the last day or the last 15, 20, 30 years of your life, that feeling is a feeling of relief, that feeling is a feeling of joy, of hope, and I don't want you to miss out on that. This is not about a guilt trip at all, this is about me wanting to share with you what I've learned. And I still go, I still go days, often weeks, without actually knowingly walking through that door, submitting those things to him, and accepting this life that he's set for me. But I know that the days I do it, they may not be easy, but I feel lighter. I have Jesus behind me. I have Jesus beside me. I feel stronger. So the first thing is that this life is eternal. The second thing is that it's abundant. Third thing, that it's new life. And fourth is that it's now. As I said, you can walk through that door today. The kingdom is now. This life begins now. And that excites me. I love that. Those who haven't become Christian in the room, if there are any here, I'd, I want to encourage you to invest more time in asking the questions about that life. You may see this passage and you may hear about the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice and the shepherd calling out to the sheep. And I'm wary that some of you might think, some of, you might think of the movies and that big booming voice that you're meant to hear. But I warn you that maybe that's not it. Maybe the voice calling out to you is just simply the reason you're here tonight. Maybe the fact you're here tonight is proof enough that Jesus isn't done with you yet. So I want to encourage you to continue to ask those questions. You know, I'll be, I'll be at the front um, during worship and after the service. If you want to take me up on asking some of those questions, I'm not guaranteeing I'll be able to answer them straight away, but I'd love to work through them with you. We've got Lance here. We've got plenty of leaders in the church who I know would love to work them through, uh, work through them with you. If going up to people is not your thing, giving, give us a call on Tuesday. I assume Monday's a public holiday. But give us a call on Tuesday. We've got people, we've got ministries devoted to introducing you to this life because this life, as I said, it's not necessarily easy. But there is hope in this life. It is eternal but it is, and it is abundant. And you will be made new in this life. And it's made possible, as I said, because of verse 11 in that passage. Because Jesus laid down his life for us. He defeated death. He defeated all those things that hold us down. All the things that we place in those containers, they don't have to be there. And it's not something that we eventually walk through. We will eventually walk through the last door, but we can walk through that gate every single day. And I would encourage you. Walk through that gate every single day. And this is a life to be celebrated. Go to your parties. Hang out with your friends. Walk through that door and continue to walk through it. Come to Jesus and continue to come to him. Celebrate this life. Follow your Savior's example of this life. He lived a fantastic example of it. This life eternal. This life abundant. This new life. This life of freedom, freedom from everything that held you back before. Because this eternal life starts today. This abundant life, I don't know if you knew that, starts right now. 
Please join with me as I pray. Jesus, we come before you thankful, acknowledging that we don't have it all together. And we thank you for the life that you laid down for us, but we thank you that you did not stay dead. You rose again, you defeated life, you defeated all those things that should be holding us back. I thank you for this life. I thank you that it is abundant. I thank you that time with our friends, time with our family is so dear. I thank you that this life is eternal. And I thank you that it's not an eventual goal. That seeing all those things gone is not something we eventually have to get to. I thank you that we can, we can do that every single day, Lord. Though we don't necessarily always forget them, I thank you that we can feel lighter, that we can feel stronger, that we can feel free because of the blood you shed for us. Today, I thank you for life. I celebrate life and I celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate you, Jesus. your love. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate that life as we 